Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. Windy day out here at Quail Hollow. Brendan DeYoung is going to join me in just a second. The guy who's going to be alongside is somebody who's been playing professional golf for more than 25 years. And he's somebody who butted heads with Tiger Woods in the U.S. Junior, not once, but twice. And he's still doing this. Whether it's the Corn Ferry Tour or the PGA Tour, Ryan Armour continues to play high-level professional golf. And earlier this year, he gave his thoughts about what appears to be the future of the construct of the PGA Tour as far as the tournaments and how many people are going to be in it. And he gave his opinion, and there was a lot of backlash. Does he have any regrets? We'll talk to him about that. And also the idea of playing well into his 50s. All of that coming up on this Five Clubs Conversation. Today's Five Clubs conversation is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot. You might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that on average, a focus group of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. Let's start with where this started. You guys remember the first time you played together? <laughs> Had to be a practice round. Yeah, it was a practice round on, it might have been in 04, Australia, maybe. 04, yeah. Australia. Yeah, beginning of the year, we had just played... Uh, Panama, and then had a couple weeks off and then flew to Australia. And I think you and Johnson were playing, and I joined up. It sounds And right. I think that's how it happened. Like, you guys were waiting, and Johnson asked me to join up, and I think D-Bear, God rest his soul, he, he was, he had like a meter's book instead of a yard's <laughs> book or something, and I hit one over a green, like 40 yards. <laughs> and the friendship started from there, because we all just made fun of each other the whole time. Did you, um... It's funny, like, again, you're a little bit younger than him. Yeah. Um, were you aware of who he was? Did you know who he was? No. No, no. no. Just became friends because we were yeah. all trying to do the same thing. And, yeah. And it, what worked out for all of us is our wives got along. So that allowed us to stay close. Yeah. And it seems like if the wives get along, the players are going to get along. Is there somebody who, who entered into your life after you turned professional that maybe he's still playing, maybe not, that was important early on for you? Advice, guidance. I think we always lean on like guys we went to school with yeah. or, or went to the same university. Uh, you know, I think a cookie always, John Cook always, yep. you know, giving me words of wisdom and uh, I call him Brownieisms, who was my college golf coach. And, you know, you get in contention and the middle of green never changes. You know, so don't think you have to fire at every pin. And uh, But the beauty of golf is you, you develop these friendships like Brennan and I had, or, you know, the four of us used to play a lot of practice rounds together, Brant Snedeker and Johnson Wagner and Brennan and myself. And we, we competed so hard in practice rounds, it made us better when we got to Thursday. 
you know, he mentioned John Cook, and we've talked, you know, here and there about about Nick Price. I mean, Nick's one of the great players, gentlemen the game's ever known. Cookie, and I've talked to him about this at length, like, he was lucky. He had great mentorship himself. He had Ken Venturi, Absolutely. who was not only, you know, somebody who was his, his, you know, his eyes when it came to his golf swing, he was his, you know, his sensei when it came to, here's what you do to be a professional golfer. Do you think enough of that exists now? I think the young guys right now are so far ahead of where we were 15, 18 years ago that when they come out here, they're ready to go. I mean, when I was just coming out of college, there was no way I could play this golf course that we're playing this week yeah. here at, at Wells Fargo. And I, I think these young kids are coming out with the, the advancements in technology and, you know, the, the track man stuff and the quad stuff and the access to information. Uh, they're just, they're ready to go. Yeah. I, everybody is, there's a consensus on that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It also feels to me like these young guys wouldn't want to ask advice as much either, though. Like they. Nah, I, I think some reach out when, like, where to stay, where to yeah. eat, when should I travel there, that kind of stuff. I don't think they want anything to do with how to play the game. I think they're, they're set. I mean, you know, everyone's squeezing a 290 yard fade down the left side now. Uh, whereas back in the day, we hit all kinds of shots, big hooks and squeeze fades, whatever, but now they're, they're locked in to what they, they need to do. So, so among the guys who are, you know, in your, in your ballpark age-wise, <laughs> are, there, are there guys who, who you would say, you know, if you are going to talk to somebody, talk to him. Like, who are the guys out here? Well, I mean, Tiger's my age. Yeah. So it, it's, if you got a question about how to win or compete or ball flight, ask him. I mean, he's if not the greatest, yep. second greatest to yep. ever play the game. I mean, so you got a question, ask him. I mean, he's forthcoming if you just go up and ask him. You know, you literally are the same age. Look, you were mm -hmm. you were you were a prodigy as a junior. He was what he was, which was <laughs> you know an alien. Um, do you remember how old you were when you became aware of him? Because look, there was there was enough information then, but it's not like the yeah. the amount of information that's available yeah, now. We, we didn't have anything but Golf Week and the USA Today back then. That's how we got all our information. And Golf World. So those three yeah. things. And I remember the 91 junior was at Bay Hill. Yeah. 91 US junior. And he won that year. And that was really the first time up close I saw him. And I was like, guy's pretty good. I'm like, I better get better. And then he waxed me the next year up in Boston in the quarters. and then. I kept getting better, and then he got me in extra holes the next year in the finals. And but so that '91 U.S. Junior is when it really came to life. He was 15, or we were 15. And yeah. Yeah. Did you? You remember the? You played with him professionally. Yeah. You, yeah. You remember the first time you were you were paired with him in a professional event? Uh. It was late. Aronimic in 18. Okay. I think. The BMW. Yeah. BMW. Yeah third round okay yeah and okay. then what was really cool though I mean him and I always have been cordial to each other and you know even when I wasn't playing so good professionally and we'd see each other in Jupiter our kids are relatively the same age it was always great and then uh, we were paired together 
Saturday of Memorial one year, and I went to Ohio State, so that, that was kind of cool. Uh, you know, being there at, at Muirfield and having all the Buckeyes in my corner, and even Joey LaCava said, Tiger never gets out ovated on the first hole. And when they announced me after Tiger, the ovation was way louder. So that was pretty cool. That is awesome. You played with him, haven't you? I did, yeah. I, uh, I had the lead going into the final round of his tournament up in D.C. Yeah. And it was right after that storm went through and they didn't allow yeah. anybody in yep. on Saturday. And then they honored all those tickets on Sunday. So we had double the gallery on Sunday. And um, the thing that I noticed with him was for the first nine holes, he was very good about marking, letting me putt out first, and then he'd putt out because he knows everybody's going to run. As soon as we made the turn, I think he was then leading me by one or two. He started tapping in and letting everybody just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he knew how to play that game. There Absolutely. was no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, as far as, like, his importance to the game, one thing that I think that, that I never thought would exist because he didn't need it, he always said everybody's adulation because you knew what the result was going to be. He was going to win. And you went out there and you had an appreciation for golf that was really unusual. Now he has an affection that is being projected toward him by people, like trying to drag him across the line. And we don't know how much he's going to play going forward. I don't think he ever anticipated that. And I actually think he's being like it's affecting him in a good way. Um, that that maybe maybe age has something to do with it, but I, I don't I think it's more than that. Do you do you? I mean, again, he's not out here much. Right. I never thought people were going to love him because they needed to love him to help him win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was never going to need help, and now now it's. I think he's humanized now. Yeah. I mean, injuries have taken its toll on his body, and he, you know he was superhuman for so long. What he was able to do in that stretch, especially what. 2000 to 2008. I mean, we may never see an eight years of golf like that again. I mean, not, you know, we may, but unlikely. And I think with everything he went through family-wise and then now injury-wise, I think it humanized him to the general public. So now they're in his corner. They're not just in awe of him. I, I agree. I think he was forced to mellow. He, he really yeah. was with, with all the injuries and everything he had to go through. He, he kind of had to mellow. And I mean, you don't want to say become a little bit of a sympathetic figure, but I mean, geez, you watch him walking around there now, and, and he is. No, I, I, I think that's the truth. I mean, I, I think that there, look, it's not pity. Sympathy is a very different thing from, from having pity for somebody. Um, his importance to the tour. It, it, how important is he still while not really playing the tour? How do you, how is that? Well, I mean, let's be honest. He's the only needle. He is the needle. He's the needle. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, you turn on Golf Channel anytime and they're running reruns of him winning. They're not running reruns of when I won. They're running reruns of when he won <laughs> for good reason. But, you know, I've always said this and I say it to, the 20-somethings now, I'm like, you probably should send him a Christmas card every year because he's the reason you're playing for this. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, the, the, um, I never had any delusions about, you know, why people were watching the 10 years that I was doing Morning Drive, but the highest rated quarter hour in the history of that show. And we had great guests, you know, it was a nice run, was 15 minutes of him hitting balls 
on the range at Oak Hill with the glove tucked under his arm at the PGA the year Duffner won. Okay. And so we always met regularly with our research department and they would show us like, that was a good hour, like you need to do more of that stuff. No, I'll tell you what we need. We need more of him live hitting golf balls in the morning, which was rare, you know, highest rated quarter hour. Him hitting range balls at Oak Hill. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Was that uh, humbling? Not, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. now, no, I'll tell you what it was. It was ammo for me, for everybody who would tweet or, or email or whatever saying, enough of Tiger. No, no, there's never enough. There isn't, yeah. there isn't enough. The appetite is insatiable. It will never go away. Yeah. It'll never go away. How about, how about what's going on now? Because you, you put yourself out there. I did. Talking about... Yeah. Did, do you have any any regret about sharing your opinion about the future? I don't. You don't. I, I don't because. So after that came out, I never got. I've never gotten more hugs in the locker room than I got after that came out. I mean, my job as or I wouldn't even say job. Um, your responsibility. My yeah responsibility of being a pack member. I was voted on by my peers, and. I'm not supposed to speak up for the superstars of the sport. I'm supposed to speak up for the entire membership. And that's what I was doing. So I know, we all know our place in the game. Everyone does. But the, let's just say the number fifth ranked player on the PGA Tour and the number 55th player on the PGA Tour, why should their schedules be so vastly different than what they are going to become next year? I mean, there's, there is a big discrepancy between 5 and 55, but there isn't between 49 and 55. Yeah. So that, that to me is where it kind of irked everybody. And that's what I was getting from my peers, the information and the backlash. Hey, what's going on? Why, why, why are we doing this? And Dave from, you know, Golf Digest, has, we've known each other a long time. And... He caught me on the putting green at Sawgrass before the players, and we just had an honest conversation back and forth. And some stuff came out a little, I mean, he never misquoted me at all. I, I don't think I really wanted to say the word mules, but it just came out that way. You know, you'll see it tomorrow. You know, everyone's out there playing a pro-am and everyone's doing that. And, you know, the whole tour has to be around to do those nine and nine pro-ams, not just 68 players. So I, I just think the on-site experience for, especially the Wednesday, just goes down. And I voiced my opinion about it. And it, my opinion wasn't the only one that way. Right. There was, there was a lot of them. I'm sure there were. Now, we, I want yeah. nothing but success to come out of what we're doing. Yep. But I also have to stick up for player 51 through 249, as well as those guys that are inside that top. Do you think, and I, I, I have, you know, I, I like Peter Malnati a lot. Mm -hmm. His his position being altered the way that it was, like he was, I don't know who talked to him, but one of the things he said about why he supported this idea of, of the number of what it was going to be as far as the des designated events was, the idea that if, that, that guys, if, if there were more, they would be less inclined to play the non-designated events. And I'm like, first of all, that, that presumption is that you're playing great. 
and that you wouldn't need any of these other events. And I just, I just thought it was counterintuitive. Look, we've talked to, I've talked to a lot of players. I just think 70 is too small. It's not reflective of how many guys can win at all. And I agree with you. I think for some reason, for the last year and a half, the PGA Tour was on this. We have to have cuts. We have to do this, you know, to, to withhold the traditions of the game. You know, there was always a cut in golf. Well, now you're moving away from that. And I mean, I don't like missing cuts. No one does. And I missed half of them in my career. I mean, it's no fun going home early. But they just took that aspect away of, and I don't know how it affects the, the DFS stuff and all that. Right. But, you know, the on-site experience, I remember this. So I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Yep. And that's where the World Series of Golf was at Firestone. Small field event. But what they did great about the small field event there was they ran tee times all day. So they ran them all off number one and ran them all day. So the on-site experience for the people there, they had golf all day. Now we're going to these tight TV windows that they want everyone on the golf course so they can show what's going on. And so you're teeing off between 11.30 and 1.30. So your on-site experience is down to what, five hours, yeah. five and a half hours? Where if you're a kid, you can be out there all day learning and having fun. And I, I, I just, that was my big beef, the on-site experience went away. Yeah, how many World Golf Championships did you play in? I didn't play many, I'd say maybe four. Yeah, yeah. atmosphere? Where they, I mean, it, it's it is a good atmosphere because you know that you've obviously done something to get there. Sure, um, it it is a good atmosphere. I I don't think that it's something that needs to happen all the time though. I really don't. I feel like it needs to be maybe one or two events a year, and that's it. Yeah, the the thing about the World Golf Championship Series, like you're talking about Akron, I re I remember being there in 2010, and this was when Tiger was going through like profound like thought changes and swing changes right. he was getting ready to embark on the foley project okay. and there was no cut and he shot a zillion okay. hunter mayhan won that week and he beat tiger by like 40. and i'm thinking to myself the last place in the world he wants to be right now is on the go is is on that first <laughs> team on a saturday starting the day 22 shots behind the guy and they've only played two rounds mm -hmm. like that's the other part of it is and we you know again that, that when you don't play well, um, I, I just, oh, I felt like the World Golf Championship Series, and you can say, well, that's not what this is. There's a lot of elements to it that are very similar. And I thought it was like a speakeasy where all the best players showed up and somebody was handing you chips. Like it was a closed society. Like you're, you're gonna go here, you're gonna have all these world ranking points, we're gonna give you money for showing up, and all you guys should get paid, I think, no matter whether you make the cut or not, but there should be something associated with not playing well enough for two days. That's part of your job. Right. I agree. Okay. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, times are changing. That's what we've been told in all these player meetings. And, um, you know, the PGA Tour mission statement or whatever used to be, you know, we're going to give a buttload to charity to, you know, every uh, community that we're in and we're gonna provide playing opportunities for our membership. Now, that number two bullet point has kind of gone away. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know, I was there sticking up, like I said, for the majority of the membership. 
and that wants playing and that got preached every player meeting right. we are going to do everything we can to provide as many opportunities for the players that was always like probably the top talking mm -hmm. point at every single one of those meetings and now it's going away do yeah. you do you support the the pga tour you thing like the idea of green lighting uh of a really super productive college player mm -hmm. to to some exempt status whether it be corn Ferry tour or pga tour I love the Corn Ferry Tour aspect, uh, but I'm old school. I had to go through the Q school. I had to go through the, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour too many times to count. But times are changing, and the way it was explained to me, this is to combat something that is happening in the golf world. No doubt. And we need we need to guarantee access to the elite of the elite early in their career, or we're going to lose them. So that argument. If you keep it at one guy, I'm fine. But if you start getting to five, ten, then it gets gets a little too watered down. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I don't, I don't know your thoughts on this. Like, college golf is not supposed to be a feeder system to the PGA Tour, but there's so many guys now. You got, you already said it. Like they're so ready now. Mm -hmm. You look at college football. You look at college basketball. It's really. It used to be unpaid labor. Now guys can get NIL money, and there are lottery picks, and there are first-round draft choices in the NFL. With the existential threat of live hanging out right. there, to ensure these these almost surefire like assets, which are these great college players, I get it. Yes, I get it. Yes, that's that's where I went. They convinced me about that. Yeah, I was way against it to begin with. But you know some of the things that they're able to do now with the PGA Tour U that we were never able to do. Like let's go back to when we played the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay, say you qualified for the U.S. Open and you had to miss, let's just say Wichita on the Corn Ferry Tour or wherever we were playing that week. They wouldn't take the points that we earned at the U.S. Open and move them over to the Corn Ferry Tour. Now all of a sudden, out of thin air, they're they're figuring out a way to move points. Yeah, and I'm like. You're only doing this because you want your PGA Tour U to be so successful. So I was like, well, where was this 15 years ago when everyone else was complaining about it? Right, so. right. Um, combined PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour, I believe you're sitting at 494, 494 <laughs> starts. Yeah. So you're, you're going to get to 500 mm -hmm. here, you know, very soon. Right. Um, what, is, what, is, what is the most modest I know as a Corn Ferry Tour experience, like the whole thing, like the, the condition of the golf course, just all of it. What was, what was, what, what was like... The God, humbling is, experience? Is yes. that what you're asking? Yes. <laughs> Too many to count, but uh, it had to be, you know, 2012-13. I played so poorly. I was trying to get bigger, stronger, faster, and everything that went into that season. Like I had a second place finish that year and finished like 105th on the money list. I mean, it's almost impossible. I think I made like four of 22 cuts or something. Um, and I just, you know, tucked my tail between my legs, went back home and asked my wife, should I quit? And she's just like, no, nah, you put too much time in. And she gave me a year and I played mini tours. I had status still, but I knew I wasn't getting in and my kids were little. I'm like, I'm gonna stay home. I'm gonna play around here, and then I went back to the school, and I mean, it was humbling. 
yeah. to go back after you've had success and how many times did you think yours before you finally said I'm done did you say you were done how many times did you tell your whether you audibly said it or not uh, too many to count honestly really? yeah yeah I Gary I was to the point where I was I was hating it I really was and even when I still had I was playing a full year out here I was hating it like every week I'd show up and be like this is the last place I want to be and I mean it's impossible to have any success like that. So, yeah, I mean, probably too many times to count. Yeah. Um, I, I, look, I, I'm, I'm, this is not about being morbid. Athletic mortality is very interesting to me because it's all you've ever known. You've wanted to do it since you were young. You've been doing it. But then when, when like, you're 47. Right. And, and a lot of people are hitting, like, their professional prime, like, right now in their lives, whatever it is that they want, they're doing or wanted to do, and they're doing it right now. And for you, it's, it's absolutely on the back end yes. of whatever that prime was. Mm -hmm. um, what's the hardest part about knowing that, that I can't be as good as I once was? And you may have friends doing other things, like this buddy who, who's, yeah. he's flying in his profession, absolutely. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. He is. Mm -hmm. um, is that hard? Yes, but no, because I'm trying to get better every day still. And like today, I was here at, uh, we left the house at 6.30, and I got done practicing at 3.45 to come over here and do this interview with you. And that's the only way I know how to get better. I'm going to put the time in. I'm going to see my instructor. I'm going to get my rest, hydrate, and all that stuff. And every year, I'm learning more and more and more. So... The, the problem I'm running into, though, is my body doesn't recover as quickly. Um, this is really the last year and a half is the first time I've ever had some injury issues. And that's what that's what creeps into the back of my head. Like, is your body going to hold up? Do you, when you say you're learning more and more, are you learning more and more about how to be effective as a golfer? Or are you learning more about yourself? Like, like what you're capable of and your thinking and your uh, processing? Not the capabilities, because I don't have that many. For me, I don't have any. But I'm learning more about, like, okay, why did I hit this shot? Why did this happen? Whereas it used to just be raw ability. Now I'm learning, like, you know, face to path and all this stuff that my instructor's teaching me. And um, so it, it's been it's been difficult to take it from range to course this year, but we're still working. Do you do, do you like work? more now than you did 10 years ago? I love to compete. Competition is what drives me. Um, I love to chip and putt. Anything that takes the wear and tear off my body, the little stuff, you know, like short game. But sitting on the range like I did this afternoon, I don't love that. Okay. How do you, what are the ways that you compete while practicing? Do you have games? Do you, is this, is it internal? Is it stuff that you're talking about externally with with yeah. the people you work with? Yeah, I so like typical game, we'll just, uh, my caddy and I, we'll just have birdie bogey game. You know, par's a wash, birdie's for me, bogey's for him. And that's just, it's to keep our interest, make you make the six footer for par, things like that. Um, you know, other guys, I was playing with Ryan Palmer today, he's got to make 85 feet of putts through nine holes. So his, his 
caddy drops him down. If he doesn't make 85 feet of putts, he owes his caddy X amount of dollars. If he does, the caddy owes him money. And I thought that was really, I'd never heard that one. That was really yeah, interesting like to me. So, I like that. Who is, who is the most competitive guy that you played some golf with? Him? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I was so envious that he could be that competitive from Monday morning till Sunday evening. Were you, are you competitive at everything else in your life? Are you competitive with, yeah. with, with whether it's debating or, or other, other athletic activities yeah. with your family? I are just, you that way? I didn't know anything else. I've had to, you know, claw and scratch all the time. I mean, I'm 5'9", 170 pounds. I wasn't blessed with everything. Somehow I played high school basketball. I don't know. And it was just, I, I hated to lose. So I would just outwork them or figure out a way to play defense, something. I mean, yeah. it made for some entertaining practice. Were, were you chippy as a high school basketball player? Were you? Yeah, a little mouthy. I would say that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anything to get under someone's skin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at when you look at the younger guys now, one thing to have skill, and obviously there's a tremendous amount of talent out here. Who's somebody who whose competitiveness you appreciate? Give me a couple guys that you go, all right, that they they will dig in. Who are they? Oh, wow. That's tough. Hmm. The young guys? I'm trying to think here. They're all so young now. Um, they don't have to be 25. I mean, no. they could be the, the, you the know, Spieth Thomas vintage. Right. You know, I, I'm going to give Justin some credit here. I think he's got that fire where he just constantly, he hates to lose. He's not out there to make money. He's not. He's out there to beat everyone's body which I think is a great quality to have. And not to mention he's blessed with an enormous amount of talent, so that helps. Um, so, you know, but it's been a, I don't know, I haven't been in contention in a while, so it'd be tough to, you know, all of us compete. I mean, you wouldn't be at this level if, if you didn't have yeah. it in you. Um, I assume you were a Jack guy growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're, I mean, at 47 though, okay, so in 86, do you remember like watching? That was one of the first, so I was 10 years old. That was one of the first golf memories I ever have. What is like, so we had a basketball hoop in our driveway and it was Sunday and it was a nice day out in Ohio, which is unusual in April. So I was outside shooting and my dad would be like, you better get in here and watch this. So I come in and I watch some, and then I go out and shoot, and then I come back in and watch some. And I watched the whole back nine. I was like riveted. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I'm like, Dad, he looks really old. And now he's a year younger than me <laughs> yes. at the time. So, but that, that is the first like vivid golf television memory I have. Yeah, see, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that like you truly in real time experienced it. You didn't. No, I didn't. My first memory was watching. You were what, five years old? Mm -hmm. Was watching Scott Hope miss that short putt at the Masters. Oh God, that was '89. '89. Yeah, okay. that was my. I have a distinct memory of that. Were you, for some were you rooting for Scott Hope? No, I was actually rooting for Faldo. And that, then I got to know him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> did you have empathy for Scott Hope missing that putt? I mean, did you did you have like context of some? Were you playing golf at that time? Yeah, yeah, I was nine at that time. I was playing okay. a little bit. Um, I don't know, as, as a nine-year-old, I don't know how much empathy you've got. You're saying, no, oh, what a terrible putt. Like, how could you any. miss that? No, you can feel sorry for a guy. Yeah. So, so, so after 86, 
Did 86 ignite something in you about golf? Was was that a trigger point in any way? A little bit, a little, a little bit. Um, it just became the summer thing to do, and so you know, early in the morning you'd go to swim team or you'd caddy, and then in the afternoon you were able to hit balls and play because they had time restrictions back then on juniors when they were allowed on the range and on the course and. So come two o'clock, it was free game, and you're out there all day until dark, and um, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, the, uh, relationship with Jack. Um, I know playing in the event and all that is yeah. from the first time had to be very significant for you. It was. Did, have you have you had time with him that has been like valuable time in terms of direction or advice? So not really, and. It, and it's partly my fault, but he, when I was in college, he was designing a gazillion golf courses. Yes. That was, and he was still playing the Champions Tour. Yeah. So he was busy all the time. You know, once in a while we'd be out at Muirfield, you'd see his helicopter coming in and he'd land over there and he'd come out and say hi. But he couldn't spend any time with the program. I mean, he was all over the world designing stuff. And I've actually gotten to know him better through some of his charity stuff that him and his wife do, the queen. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah, she is. Everything she touches turns to gold. I mean, and you know, whether it's the Jake or some of the stuff up in Columbus, uh, just through them and being able to talk to them, has been really special. Now, Gary, Gary, who was, now again, you're too young to remember this. Gary was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16, which would have made you, what, 11? 11. 11 years old. He's older. five years older than me. Yeah. Um, do you have any relationship with him at all? Uh, we run into each other in Jupiter. Okay. Other than that. Yeah. You know, not really. Uh, do you remember when he was on their cover no. of Sports Illustrated? Mm -hmm. I do. Because I'm five years older than him. And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? He, he, Gary Nicholas is on the cover of, of Sports Illustrated. I got to ask you, since you mentioned Akron, are you a LeBron guy? So funny, my brother went to the same high school. Okay. Um, and... When I saw him play in high school, I saw him about 10 times in high school. Did I'm you like, really? I was like, oh my Lord, this guy's amazing. And uh, and I was a LeBron guy for a while, but then he went to the Lakers, so. Okay, There's so, a, but you're, you're interesting because you're like the tweener between the young people who are absolute LeBron guys and I'm in the over 50 set who are Michael people. Oh, yeah. Okay, are you a LeBron guy like over Michael? Like you... No, Michael's better. Okay, thank you. No, okay, Michael's we can better. move on to the next subject. No. And you want to talk about competitors? There's no one that competes like that guy. Now, have you played some golf with him? No, he's been in the group behind me and in the group in front of me, but I've never been in the same okay. group. Have you ever thank God, because I don't no. carry enough cash. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. I, I, when I, I was working at a club in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it was the Governor's Club and it had just opened, the night after, the morning after, they won their first title in 1991. The shop phone rang, and it was him. And I'm, I'm 23 years old, and he says, and I, you know, Gary Golf Shop, Gary, it's Michael Jordan. I'm coming down there tomorrow. Can we play? Can we get off at 7 a.m.? And I'm like, okay, that's not my decision. So anyway, the point is he comes down there with a gang sum of people. They each have their own cards. Yep. So he's been doing this forever. This is not a new thing of him you know, going out there with eight guys. And he was insisting on playing the back tees on a golf course in 1991 that was like 72 and change. That was a truckload back then. 
And I remember walking out onto the first tee, smart ass kid, and I said, are you gonna break 80 this time? Like he had already played twice. And he said, how much money do you have? And I should have said, I'll bet you my check to yours, you're not breaking any, but I didn't have the guts to say it. Um, he's not scared. Like he'll play anybody for any amount. Yeah. Um, I, we were talking to Lucas Glover about this when we were chatting with him. He's younger than you about the idea of being fully exempt until he's 50. And he's like, I never really thought about it. You've thought about it, haven't you? You know, it just crossed, I just had dinner with Kevin Stadler. And he talked about his dad. So when his dad was 30, he won the World Series of Golf. They got him a 10-year exemption until age 40. When he was 40, he won the World Series of Golf again. Is that right? And they got him exempt till 50. And wow. I was just like, oh my God, that'd be so awesome. You yeah. just roll right in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that knowledge, and that, those 10-year exemptions. They're know, gone. They're yeah. gone. They're gone. Like they, when the players gave that, that was like such an, such an outlier exemption. I didn't realize that the World Golf Ch that, that those yeah. like World Series of Golf yeah. events also gave 10 years. Um, if you are exempt till 50, do you have the intent of playing every week on PGA Tour Champions? No. You do not? No, I intend playing out here if okay. I'm exempt. Okay, okay, okay. So let me rephrase the question. Yeah. If, you, if you're fully exempt till 49 uh -huh. and, you, and you're not fully exempt when you turn 50, will you play PGA Tour Champions every week? If I'm able to. Okay. I mean, there's no way I'm exempt on the PGA Tour Champions right now. No, so. no, it's the most it's the hardest shop in the world. It's the hardest fraternity in the world. Yeah. So. But you want to you want to play competitive. I want to play until I can't compete anymore. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, that it's is just familiar to you. Uh, yes, <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. I was trying to figure out how I could get out quicker did, the did, better. Do you appreciate that he loves it so much? Yeah, I was always very, very envious of him. Johnson's the same way. Absolutely, you could tell they're so excited every week. Love playing golf, love preparing, love everything that goes into it. I was, uh, I was, I was envious a lot you of know, the time. You know, let me say this about Johnson Wagner. So I played with him recently, and he was hitting some hellacious foul balls off the tee, and and he and he went to he gestured like he was going to snap his shaft in half. And he said, "God, I hate fucking golf right now." <laughs> and I said, "No, you don't." Don't say stuff that is totally untrue, because I know he loves it. Yeah. Like the idea that he wouldn't play golf. He hates the way he's playing golf. Exactly. Right now. Yeah. Exactly. I hate the way I'm playing golf right now. Okay. So. okay. <laughs> who who loves golf as much as anybody who plays professionally? Like who who genuinely loves it? Hovland. He loves it. Uh, I he think has he does. A, he has an effervescence about it. I think that, he does. Yeah. I think he loves it. He doesn't appear cynical at all. Mm -mm. Sunjay he, he hasn't got beat up either, though. No, he hasn't. Uh -uh. No, scar, no scar tissue. Yeah, he doesn't have scar tissue either. No, he doesn't. So. He's played good every week. Okay, yeah. Give me somebody over 40 who you think still loves it like to the degree that they could, which is, which is admirable. Stewie Sink. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I think now that his wife is fully healthy and he's got that behind him and his, his boys are older and working now and they have careers, and I think now is he's back into like, I'm in love with the game. Okay. Um, it's not because I think he does, but I'm not sure. Um, how about Kuchar? Does Kuchar love golf? 
Now he, I think he's a sneaky, hyper-competitive, chippy, oh, ruthless guy. Oh, oh, he 100%. is. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I think he does. I, I think he loves. I think he loves beating people his way. Does that make sense? Like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll show you. You got this perfect everything. I'm gonna come over the top, and then I'm gonna punch you to death. So I, I think he loves beating people yeah. his way. Uh, Streelman, does Streelman have an affection for golf? Or is he a businessman? Is it more? <laughs> That's funny, Dookie. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I, I don't know, do you set goals? Do you write stuff down? Do you quantify what you want to do over the course of a season? Yeah, but then like six weeks in, it's usually ripped up and thrown away and you got to rewrite them because <laughs> you're either playing really good or you're playing really bad and you got to figure it out. <laughs> So, okay, so what's the, the, the most recent iteration of what, you, what your goals are for, for this year or what? So at the top is always win. It's always, no matter, every time you write them down, it's win. And then for me, it, this year was uh, to improve my proximity. That one, of the high, one of the high ones was improve proximity with uh, six iron and above because I seem to be having more and more of them as we lengthen every golf course out here. Yep. So if I can get that proximity from whatever it was, 38 feet from 190 yards and out to 28 feet, the, the likelihood of making one and less three putts goes way up. Um, you mentioned about yardage. I wasn't thinking about asking this. Um, are you pro or anti rollback? I want the rollback actually. You do? Yeah. Why? I think it would be interesting because people have never played a spinny golf ball. I want, I want to see people, how they can control it. Can they flight it down? Can they hit a draw when they have to hit a draw instead of always hitting this squeeze fade that they've hit over and over and over again because that's the way equipment wants you to hit it. If, um, it let's say the rollback is instituted this season. Yeah. Who would adapt the quickest and who would benefit the most? Give me, give me a player just in your mind you would think okay they'll adapt to this i would put someone i would say patrick cantley would be someone that would jump straight into my mind that would adapt interesting because i think he's going to work his butt off and he's going to figure it out yeah but you brought up kuchar yeah so kuchar played a spinny ball grew up with a spinny ball i think he would figure it out right away i'll tell you somebody you mentioned his name see i think justin thomas would figure it out because i think he has an artistry about the way he plays and he likes to he likes to shape stuff and he likes to visualize mm -hmm. things that are that are maybe a little bit non-conforming. I think he would figure it He'd out. He'd figure it out, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Most guys will figure it out. Yeah, but it's I just mean, some I will mean, figure it out quicker. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, my position on all of it is that, I, I, and I understand, like we all care about what affects us, and I understand why immediately you go, hold on a second, things are great right now. I look at this and go, this is as much about 50 years from now as it is about mm -hmm. you know, 2026 when they institute it. And it's only for you guys. It's only for the guys right. who play the game in a way that we're totally unfamiliar well, I with. I don't understand why there's this big uproar about the ball. I yeah. mean, you know, you play a different ball than this guy. I, I don't understand. Yeah. Because in baseball, you have wooden bats in the major leagues and you have metal everywhere else. I mean, it happens in all the other sports. You know, you have a bigger basketball as you age. I yeah. mean, it's fine. 
I thought you, he brings up a great point there that, you know, everything is geared now towards, towards a cut. So these guys have never played a golf ball that's going to spin straight up into the breeze right. when you're hitting that cut. So you're going to start seeing guys that are going to change their golf swings purely on because the golf ball's changed. Right. Yeah, it makes a great point. All right, let, let's get you out of here with these five quick questions. Uh-oh. Uh, do, you, do you consume podcasts at all? Do you watch or listen to? Yeah. Okay, so give me your, your podcast of choice right now is what? Oh, God, I'm going to show my age. Well, I listen to a lot of Buckeye football stuff, Buckeye football talk, uh, so that's not too bad. And the NFL draft just happened, so I, I had a bunch of those downloaded, like yeah. the, the, the draft reactions. I've kind of been getting into Clay Travis. I kind of like a lot of his takes. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, is, there a, is there a Buckeye football voice, somebody who covers the game, somebody who played there, who you particularly appreciate? I love Paul Keels. He's the radio announcer. He's amazing. Okay. He does football and basketball. Yeah. Uh, just so distinctive a voice. But he, I, he doesn't have a podcast, so. Okay. These are all writers you know, with whatever the Columbus Dispatch or yeah, yeah. They, they go and break it down. and Yeah. So. All right. Who on tour right now would run, would run the fastest mile? Oh, boy. Not me because I haven't ran in a while. Jeez, <laughs> um, that's tough. I'm going Tony Fino. Long legs. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know who I have in my mind? Aaron Rye. I don't know why. Like, he seems like he would be, like, a super efficient right. runner and then he would figure out a way. Like, he's – look, I, 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 I'm, I like him. He seems like a wonderful guy. He's a great guy. guy. He's a great guy, but I just – I think he would run a good mile. Camilo would still be pretty good when he's yeah, he yeah. good, but I mean, shape. he's more of a cyclist. I don't know that I would – anyway, that, that, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, what is a job you would be good at? stay-at-home dad that's not I, <laughs> I understand that that no i mean a real like not that again people who stay home and care for kids that's work i get it you no know, something where you have to go and give me a job give me high a, school basketball coach have you ever volunteered have you ever coached i try and help when i'm at home but it, it you can't commit to a full season because you're never there right so you can't say hey co-, i'm like coach i'll help you out of practice stuff like that but yeah uh celebrity crush growing up Wow, I can't remember. Oh, come on, we Alyssa all Milano. remember. Alyssa Milano, excellent, excellent call. Who's the boss? You're familiar with her work. I am, not? yeah, oh yeah. Okay, very Definitely. good. All right, last thing, what's your favorite word? That's not, that's not <laughs> eligible. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Uh, I mean, this is, this is not network television. <laughs> Lately, with the way I've been playing, there's been some F-bombs dropped a lot of times. It's so. a very, it's the most, it, it is the most useful. Mm-hmm. It, it has more versatility than any word absolutely. in the world. Yeah. yeah, It enhances everything. Yes, it does. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely does. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming yeah, by thanks, and doing Gareth. this. Donger. Thank, thank you, you very much, Alma. Yeah. Appreciate it. Good luck, guys. Really appreciate Ryan Armour taking the time to join us out here at a windy Quail Hollow. You know who else we need to thank? The Connors. Thank you for allowing us to be at this just wonderful home with a lot of warmth. Even though it's chilly outside, the warmth is from you people because you're great. 
And we also thank all of you out there for watching and listening to this Five Clubs conversation. 